0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People g 2 Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secret of really talented people, and second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies today. Hopefully that makes sense on how the those two words of, or two versions of talent uh, work, and we look to really explore those two definitions as best we can uh, uh, once a week on Tuesdays here in the OC Talk Radio studios. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and many more from all different types of industries. So... When I'm out at networking events and industry conferences or roundtables, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will hopefully help your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions uh, via Twitter. Just uh, tweet them to at PeopleG2, hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can also listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes as well as Android, and subscribe to have that weekly show sent to you. We have uh, just over 10,500 people subscribed this week uh, to the show, and we are really, really proud of that. So thank you. With that said, let's get today's show started. My guests again are uh, Bob Kelly, CEO of ABL, Adaptive Business Leaders, and Brian Elliott, CEO of the Good Brain Digital Studios and also the editor in chief of LinkedIn Orange County, or Linked Orange County. Brian will be joining me in the second half of the show. So let's welcome our first guest. Bob, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Welcome to you, Chris.
1: Hopefully, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Of course, I, I'm very familiar with Bobby. He runs the Roundtable in West Hollywood, where I'm a member, and we've had quite a few of our, some of our best guests have been, uh, or are, ABL members. Uh, so, Bobby, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself again and, and your organization.
0: But you know, Chris, I'm privileged to be of service to our ABL CEO members, like yourself, in helping them deal with some of their toughest issues. Uh, This I do by facilitating our monthly subscription CEO roundtables. The roundtables are a way to share the benefits of a broader perspective on tough issues, which I gained earlier in my own CEO career. These perspectives came from leading major innovation projects, conducting financial turnarounds, and doing high-value deals.
1: Prior to kind of assuming leadership of ABW, you know, you worked as an executive in several different companies and you know you experienced some success with with growing these companies. Can you talk a little bit about those experiences and what you found to be a couple of your keys in moving those forward, you know, those companies forward?
0: I'm going to say that the two most important keys that I learned really early on as an executive were number one to ask the right questions, and number two to find people who could really help with these questions. Mm -hmm. My experiences by design benefited a lot of people in a very sustainable uh, manner. You know, I've been successful because I've always balanced the interest of six groups of stakeholders, owners, customers, employees, and the community and its resources and sensitivities uh, and number five the political powers that were a potential impact and six are key suppliers of goods and services and you know this has been across a range of activities from um, repositioning a, a major amusement park to launching a um, uh, fully insured vehicle service contract business then being involved with the security industry and the training industry and I could go on but uh, uh, I still remember my father had, uh, asking me when I was about 40 um, in light of my particular experience can't you hold a steady job
1: <laughs> you know you talked a little bit about kind of finding some of the right people uh, in your in your reply there so I think talent recruitment or talent management probably plays a strong role in you know seeing success within a company what were some of the challenges you faced with talent management you know whether there difficult decisions that need to be made or you know how, how are you finding the right people to move the company forward
0: well, Initially, the biggest challenge has always been to frame an effective job description and then to continue the recruiting process until I got an effective candidate, uh, sometimes interviewing 100 candidates to find the right one. And then this was always followed by ensuring that the new hire either succeeded quickly or left early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also always carefully checked references and did as much background screening as possible, usually having to go to the library. That certainly dates my earlier executive experience,
1: doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, the library, what's that?
0: (laughs) That's what we used before Google. Oh,
1: okay, okay, yeah. So, you know, having served as a chairman of the board for six technology companies, which is, you know, quite impressive, I know you've seen a lot of changes to an always transforming market. When you think about those companies and the challenges they face today with, you know, such strong competition in in that market, You know, how have the recruiting parameters really changed from what the, and what advice would you might, you know, kind of give to people trying to look to stay on top?
0: Well, I think in terms of recruiting parameters, the single biggest change has been the Internet. You know, other than tapping personal networks, which I could do in the past and can certainly do today, the Internet is now a major recruiting tool. In fact, our organization uses the specialist decision toolbox, to craft Internet job descriptions and also to craft Internet ads that do work effectively in this medium. I also always mention Decision Toolbox to CEOs today looking to find people out of their network. The other thing is the need for more effective background screening information, especially because so many people today can lie so convincingly during a job interview. Yeah, When I was in the military, we called background intelligence G2. I still do. And uh, interestingly, I guess your firm is called People g 2 uh, and it, I'm going to say it certainly, uh, to me, provides reliable background screening. And I mention reliable because recently I was so appalled at the poor quality of reference checking that was done of me for a person I knew well who was being hired in a very senior role by a Big Four accounting firm. They used a firm that was so bad that to call them incompetent would be kind. <laughs> The poor quality I experienced with this firm so intrigued me that I carefully checked them out. Apparently, whoever hired them must have been overly impressed with the CIA and FBI people at the top of this organization that they never bothered to do a test of their own. Mm-hmm. experience with this firm that had been hired by a big four firm provided me with a hell of a better understanding of why these so-called investigative folks could have advised our then-president and later our secretary of state that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Given how dangerous a bad top-level hire can be, and, boy, I've seen that situation. Uh, actually, I've had to deal with some of those uh, as a newly minted uh, board chairman. Mm-hmm. all call these people a weapon of mass destruction for a company that just looks for a top management pedigree. I'd always personally make sure I ran my own test to ensure that I had a competent company for any background or reference checks.
1: You talked a little bit about uh, your more current role uh, as CEO of ABL, and I know you've continuously tried to explore and develop you know, new programs. What would you say is maybe one of the two programs that are partic- you're particularly proud of, or that you feel uh, have the most impact on the professional growth of those who have, uh, excuse me, that have participated?
0: I'd say that the uh, the program I'm most impressed with um, has been our Top Tech Trends program that's now ably led by a very savvy and successful Dave Burkus. This program continues to be highly valued by uh, those people that attend it, and it's in its 11th year. And it will be conducted this year in Long Beach on January 29th you could get more information from our website at abl.org okay
1: and i would definitely encourage anyone listening uh whether it's live or on the podcast to to consider going to that i've been that for many many uh, years and i've taken uh, staff members and it is a dave who's been a guest on the show dave burkus gives a really really fascinating uh view of what's to come and a great understanding of why things have happened in technology and you know, not not necessarily just from our own uh, perspective in the United States, but this is kind of a global look of what's happening. It really, really helps in framing uh, what you might be doing and how you might be targeting markets going forward. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great program.
0: Yeah, and it's exclusive. I mean, you have to be a CEO uh, to, to be able to uh, to participate if you're not one of our members. And as right. you pointed out, our members are, uh, in fact, encouraged to bring their top management team. So
1: is there a, maybe a specific skill or technique that you feel kind of contributes to your role but maybe you had to work on over time, it wasn't a natural thing for you?
0: Yeah, I think you know, probably one of the most difficult things for me has been to – Transform my, uh, my research in where I'd, where I'd be doing a real deep dive into a particular topic into a uh, simple and easy to understand presentation. And uh, I, I still uh, seek help with that particular issue.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the presentation is going to just be high, d- high detail level, and you, you, you're kind of struggling to find a way to, to give it to it in a simpler format?
0: But well, it's not just detail. You've really kind of got to figure out how do you quickly get to the three or four central ideas in something, and share those in uh, as much of a concrete manner that people really get what you're talking about without having to, you know, uh, clutter up with uh, with too many detailed words.
1: Right. Right. Uh, that, that's a, that's quite a skill. I mean, to be able to communicate that uh, in that way is difficult. So It's probably a good thing that you you spend a lot of time working on that. I know, probably well, you must help five or six different uh, CEOs a month in helping them do that just at the roundtables alone. So uh, it's an interesting correlation that it's something that you feel like you really need to work on, but it's something that you do all the time.
0: Right. I think I probably have gotten fairly good at it because, Mm -hmm. you know, good judgment comes from experience. It comes from bad judgment. And I used to think it was just, you know, you just go right out there and do it.
1: Well, I know that uh, probably a a third, maybe even – maybe even half of, of all the books that in the last few years that I've read or that I have sitting on my nightstand that I'm trying to get to to read have come as recommendations from Bob. Uh, he's an avid, avid reader. He's probably read every book that's out there and maybe a few that haven't been published yet. This question really is kind of highlights uh, some of your expertise and, and, and talent here, and it's a question we love to ask our guests, and that is, what are you reading right now, and tell us about that book.
0: Okay, I'm currently reading Boards That Lead, When to Take Charge, When to Partner, and When to Stay Out of the Way by Ram Charan, who's a highly respected consultant to GE and IBM and companies like that, Dennis Carey, a top exec with Corn Ferry, and Michael, you seem a frequently published management professor. Since the passage of Sarbanes-Oxley, boards of directors of major corporations have become much more activist. And board stories are influencing the board members of the smaller companies I deal with. In our roundtables, as you know, because of my board workshops, I'm often the go-to guy for these kinds of issues. So I read books like this to stay on top of key trends in this area that impact the smaller high-growth companies that I typically work with. I could tell you a lot more about activist board members, but we we might want to move on.
1: (laughs) And there was another book that you had just uh, recommended to us uh, last Friday, um, I'm just blanking now on what that one was, but it was uh, another one that you were reading. Uh, with, I think it was Teams, but uh, anyways, I, don't, I can't remember that off the top of my head.
0: I had a whole library shelf of uh, books with, uh, with Teams because <laughs> figuring out how to work with uh, Teams, I think, is an absolute crucial skill for CEOs. I mean, as, as you know, we have a, a lot of individuals that really come up with great ideas and they might be able to work closely with one or two people mm-hmm. but to really scale the company you've got to be able to create teams and work with them
1: well and speaking of kind of big ideas you know maybe you could tell a little bit tell us a little bit about your own creative process and how you brainstorm effectively within your own team
0: well i like to think i brainstorm effectively i think to get my friends to really think creatively i first ensure i create an effective mind map or often a more linearly traditional outline you know, kind of the the key points, and then, then you kind of move to the right with the the, the lesser points to basically provide you know what the issue is and some context for it, and then upon sharing that, next is to get ideas to to plus what we've already got there, and it may be to plus an existing idea, or it may be to to plus it, and I'm used to, and, and plus is a term I picked up from uh, uh, the Disney organization, which means to add to what is presented. So sometimes it's plussing the existing ideas, and other times it's plussing the the area there by sharing alternatives that really haven't been presented yet. The usual question here is what's missing. Then after brainstorming, when uh, we've developed several alternative approaches, I ask for very candid comments on these various alternatives. My usual question here is what do you think of each of these with the bark off, no sugar coating? I'd much rather an idea fail in discussion than after a lot of further effort and other resources have been invested.
1: You know, once you kind of get things rolling from a creative standpoint and and people maybe feel comfortable brainstorming and and giving you that kind of advice, the next kind of step usually for a a well-running organization is that you can really get people to start to develop themselves without kind of poking and prodding at them. So, you know, how do you get your own people in your organization to actively look to develop their own talent, and how do you get the best out of each person?
0: Well, this is something I've focused on throughout my career, and I'm going to say, uh, you know, it's a great question, Uh, I think, for anybody that's looking to uh, develop any kind of organization. uh, To answer the question specifically, first, I found out what approaches they've found to work for them and how successful these approaches are for them in terms of uh, developing themselves. And then I help them find appropriate resources. Today, Google is a great tool to use to find better ways to understand something. And I actually uh, suggested that to uh, to my assistant uh, yesterday afternoon relative to a particular topic. Google can also help you find better frameworks to get a broader understanding of a topic, or to find better ways of ensuring things are done right, often with a, through a YouTube video. For some of my team, Books are great tools, uh, and as you mentioned, you know, I kind of stay current in that area. For others, asking the right people for help. Some people learn of a lot more from talking to other people than they'll ever learn from a book. And for others, um, I recommend teaching company courses in either audio CD or DVD video. And uh, sometimes uh, it's just a matter of uh, having somebody take a course from a proven provider. I mean, I usually ask somebody if they... Or suggesting of course you know what <clears throat> what are the uh, ways that we can make sure that this provider really knows what they're talking about and can really add value for the time you're gonna have to invest
1: and when you see that those people who are being the most successful maybe in that in developing themselves and uh, getting that information that they need do you think that really loving what you do is an important part because we've had people kind of opinions kind of in two categories one loving the actual thing you're doing and then also you know loving the the company or or what the company's all about um, you know did you do you see that people kind of fall in those categories who are doing the best uh, at their own work and within the company
0: I mean I'd use the word passion you've really got to have a passion for things and actually that term's getting a lot of currency in the press right now because of a, a book by our former secretary of state but I think you you know it's really crucial to um, What are people passionate about? I think that's probably one of the most important things. And as you're saying, you know, it could be uh, about the particular type of work. It could be the the enterprise. I think it's a process, too, to help people cultivate passion. You know, there's a lot of people I've worked over the years uh, that certainly didn't have any passion, uh, particularly in larger organizations. You know, uh, as somebody that was heavily involved with innovation, I usually look to maintain a relationship with them, but recognize, you know, there's just a lot of people that don't have any passion for what they do. And uh, in the kinds of uh, roles I had, it was finding people with passion. And as you say, it could be passion about the particular task, or it could be passion about, you know, the outcome that we're pursuing. Uh, But definitely passion and and loving what you do is important. I think loving it to the point that you have passion is really key.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we do seem to have a... If you can find people who can be passionate about at least one of those two things, preferably both, if they love the company and they love what they're doing, uh, you can get get a lot farther within your organization with what you're trying to do and, and how you're trying to make your overall experience or accomplishments within a company really pursue.
0: There's another dimension as well, and that's loving the uh, experience as created by uh, their peers. Mm-hmm. I learned that in the military. I mean, you know, they in boot camp, they really do a hell of a job of bonding people together so that you really develop a, a, a conscientiousness about the other people in a group. So you're very responsive, if you will, to your small group culture. And, and I found that's also a, a key factor. In fact, in many situations, people may be more motivated by their uh, affiliation with their uh, uh, teammates than they are by either the, the project or the company.
1: I mean, the military is certainly a far more intense situation than maybe an average uh, a company, but there are a lot of parallels there with the, you know, trusting one another, you know, really feeling like you can rely on people. Those members of your team have the skills and the abilities to be able to do the things that they're tasked to do. I mean, there's a, a lot of correlation there. I mean, military is probably more very specifically and in, intense version of that, but I could certainly see how in the private world it really does, you know, come through in a very similar way.
0: I think, you know, it's useful frequently to have somebody that served more recently in the military to talk about team spirit. I mean, you know, it's the military is one source of that, and so are people that played intense team sports, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's football or soccer or uh, basketball or something of that ilk.
1: So what you're saying is I should have my staff to start doing push-ups,
0: if physical fitness is a big deal for you, yes. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to correlate with more, more business. Planning.
1: Okay, okay. Well, I was going to take that military model to the extreme, I guess. But uh, you know, we have time for a few more questions here before we uh, have to you know, move on. But uh, I wanted to find out if you uh, you know had any you know, maybe a painful lesson that you learned in your career that you might share with us that w- we might learn from kind of what happened in, y- in your situation.
0: Well, you know, after sitting across from a bankruptcy judge because I expanded ahead of revenues and didn't stay on top of cash flow forecasting, I really learned the importance of more carefully monitoring cash flow forecasts. In fact, it's something I still monitor carefully for myself and for companies where I have in the past or I do sit on the board of directors. I typically look to ensure that the CFO has some kind of a model for a rolling 13-week cash flow forecast when the company's either in a development mode or when it's kind of getting close to the edge. I mean, this isn't something you have to be on top of if, if you've got lots of money in the bank, but uh, uh, if you're getting close, uh, you know, running out of money is called bankruptcy.
1: Right, and that sounds like a tough lesson to have to have learned, like you said, standing in front of the bankruptcy judge.
0: It was really painful.
1: Well, I'm sure you've read the book Outliers by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, and you know, in there he really talks about becoming an expert, you can do that by having this magic 10,000 hours of practice. And so you know, given your, your kind of depth of knowledge of not only working with talented people and CEOs and but also the amount of books that you've read, what are, what are your thoughts on that idea? I mean, how do you think that really plays out in the real world?
0: I really don't think you always need 10,000 hours in the specific thing that you're involved with. Uh, you know, or the five years, if you will, that's another uh, equivalent way of looking at it. Gladwell talks about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, but he doesn't mention Lou Gerstner, who came to IBM with far less knowledge than either the company or the industry relative to what Gates and Jobs had. But he sure learned fast and effectively, as the business history books have told. You know, you could look at the President of the United States. Well, actually, look at Dwight Eisenhower, who gave us eight years of peace and prosperity in a very troubled time. Harry Truman, who knew him, predicted he'd fail quickly because he wasn't adequately prepared for the job he just didn't have the experience of being a politician any discussion of other presidents would be just too political today so we might evaluate some of the recent successful state governors some of either political party that came to their roles with little formal experience and have been quite successful Mm -hmm. you know in a business sense actually I've personally known several CEOs who did very well with little formal management training you know some include notables like George Rathman who not only made Amgen a great company, but also picked a great successor, and that company today is really viewed as a, as a superstar in the same category, I'd say, as uh, uh, Microsoft or Apple.
1: So I think what I'm hearing you saying is that sometimes the talents of the person can speed up that process.
0: I do believe you've got to invest you know, the five years to develop some expertise to generally become any kind of success, so you have a framework for success. But I believe once you've done this, you can become an expert in some other field in a lot less time, depending on, you know, your passion or how much you love this uh, and your own talents.
1: Oh, it certainly makes sense. Well, Bob, uh, the last question I have for you today is how can people reach you if they're interested in learning more about ABL?
0: Uh, The key, I'd say, is go to our website and click on our information form. It's a simple information form, and one of the things it does is ensure that somebody's qualified for our organization. And then uh, we get in contact with them, and uh, I certainly look forward to meeting people in our roundtables uh, that are qualified to be able to help others.
1: And what's that website address again?
0: Uh, ABL.org.
1: I hope people will go and visit that. And I know we have quite a few CEOs that listen to the show on a regular basis, so they might be interested in checking it out. Bob, thank you so much for being a guest on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we can have you back and you can update us on... uh, on the latest trends or uh, books that you're reading and, and what's going on uh, within the organization.
0: It's been a pleasure for me too, Chris, and thank you, and uh, you certainly had some thoughtful questions.
1: Okay, thanks, Bob. Uh, Brian Elliott is our coming up next after our quick commercial break.
2: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best kept secret with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at EnergySavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. And now back to Chris and his next guest.
1: My next guest is uh, Brian Elliott, CEO of the Good Brain Digital Studios and editor in chief of Linked Orange County. Don't forget, you can tweet your questions live right now for Brian by sending them to peopleg2 talent talk. Just a quick reminder you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the shows tab and, of course, clicking on talent talk. In the short time we've existed, as we've uh, amassed a huge following on iTunes and Android, I think just over 10,500 this week of uh, regular uh, subscribers, and we're really proud of that. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Tell us about yourself and your company, uh, Good Brain Digital Studios. Well, I didn't always do this. I actually
3: worked in action sports for a while, so I'm an Orange County boy. kind of worked my way through college, and then kind of reluctantly left the industry when I got an opportunity to work up in the Hollywood area at the studios. Mm -hmm. Did that for a while and really became inspired about content. And, uh, you know, at heart I'm really a strategy guy, but I'm very creative as well, and I wanted to tell stories. And so in 2007, um, I unplugged there, uh, moved back to Orange County, started uh, The Good Brain, and really focused on original content Mm -hmm. that was story-driven and episodic.
1: So what's sort of been the biggest challenge you've had in, in getting the company to where you want it to be? I think the biggest learning
3: curve was the rude awakening I had becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, I've, I've, I always like to think that it just took me 15 years or so to come to terms with the fact that I was an entrepreneur. I always sort of felt like square peg in a round hole. Uh-huh. Um, I was always itching to do side projects and got kind of bored pretty easily, pretty fast. When I unplugged from the big corporate job, which had a nice cushy office, and someone who picked up my dry cleaning, and I had a gas <laughs> card, and right. and all the, the comforts of life, when you start your own business, you are hunting every day, and you eat what you kill. Mm-hmm. And when you don't kill anything, you, you get hungry. Right. And so it was a very, very difficult process. I didn't just jump in, was not successful at first. And then, of course, 2007, 2008, arguably the worst time since the Great Depression to start your business, um, that didn't help either.
1: You know, it's funny, you you mentioned kind of feeling, it took you a while to kind of get to that point of really feeling like you're an entrepreneur. And it's funny because I am constantly trying to tell people they should be an entrepreneur. and They'll come to me for job advice or how do I do this? And I'll say, well, you need to go work for yourself. And to me, that just seems so like the natural thing. You know, I have a, a, a cousin and she came to me and said, you know, she doesn't have any loans, she doesn't have any like, kids she doesn't have any like major responsibilities other than herself yeah i'm like go and be an entrepreneur what do you want to do what are you passionate about you have absolutely people would die or kill to be able to have this freedom you have to go and take this opportunity because if you screw it up mess up your family you're not messing up all these other things you're not defaulting on loans and i mean you know you're kind of got a free pass here yeah and it, it doesn't always click for people
3: well, I actually think that's terrible advice. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> Great, please. Uh, no, I'm just trying to be controversial. No, um, I, I think the answer is it depends because this life is not for everyone, and right. uh, it took me a long time to really sort of figure out that it was in my DNA. And I thought I've had some time to think about this, and maybe I'll ask you as well: Is the entrepreneur born, or is it something that you learn? Right? And and I feel like it's a uh, there's a chromosome in there. Mm-hmm. that you know if if you want to if you want to activate it it's there you know or right. or it's not and the most difficult thing about being an entrepreneur you know is is the whole uncertainty thing and what took time which was what was a process for me was getting comfortable with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and and if you can stomach that and it literally is in the stomach right that stress that anxiety that right. that fear that scary feeling, whatever it is, it's right in the stomach, and if you don't have, you know, if, have, if you don't have the chops for that, mm-hmm. um, it can lead to health problems. you know I know friends who've tried what I'm trying and they get ulcers or you know they have heart palpitations or you know so some people are just not. Designed to do this, they you know they should take a more stable route. This is not a stable life.
1: <laughs> well, and I agree with you in the sense that at their point now, that may be where they're at. Yeah. To to address what you said, I think that people are born with a natural what could be the atypical or the typical excuse me entrepreneur with a certain leadership a, a kind of a you know more of that person in the room who's got that charisma or got that kind of leadership ability i think it's yeah. in some ways those characters are born but i think that the whether or not someone is entrepreneurial comes from their experiences people in their life who they've seen have done it um, whether or not they were taught how to learn Mm -hmm. as opposed to how to memorize facts or memorize things in school so their teachers and things have a big impact, I think, on how they view their opportunities there.
3: I like it. Now we're getting really philosophical. We're talking about nature versus nurture here. Right, exactly. Um, I got two really amazing pieces of advice from two different amazing people. So Gary Vaynerchuk, who's one of my heroes. Mm -hmm. I met him at the
1: Inc. conference a couple months ago. He's a really neat
3: guy. Gary said um, way back when, Uh, And I I can't remember, I think we met at a place called Blog World, which is now New Media Expo. Shout out to Rick Calvert and all those people at New Media. He said, Brian, the problem with you is you're half pregnant. And I was like, what? (laughs) He said, you know, you can't be half pregnant. You either are or you're not. So Mm -hmm. what's it going to be? Are you all in or are you just just dipping a toe in? And that really, I got it. I was like, "Ah, you know, you're right. I'm, in some ways, I'm hedging. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Uh, I wasn't, you know, super afraid like some of my friends to fail. You know, I was okay with that. I didn't have very fall, far to fall, but I was certainly hedging. So that was amazing advice. The other piece of advice I got was from Seth Godin, who's also, you know, uh, in the category of hero, mentor. And, you know, we've become somewhat friends now as much as you can become friends with someone like Seth. And um, <laughs> and he said, you know, the thing that's lacking generally in society is initiative, Mm -hmm. And he said, the amazing thing about initiative is no one hands it to you. It's something you have to take. Right. And so I agree with you that within us is that ability to take initiative. I'm not convinced that everyone ought to be an entrepreneur just because of the lifestyle. You know, uh, David Armano, for example, over at Edelman Digital. David's an incredible guy. And I asked David at length, haven't you had all these opportunities to start businesses and do your own things? Like, you know what? I'm an intrapreneur. And so I think there's there's just uh, different personality types for different opportunities. Entrepreneurs are great. They can work mm-hmm. within a company, uh, and they're nurtured and fostered and, uh, by the company and given the freedom and latitude to work within the parameters of the, of the company. Right. And then they start little businesses within that. You know, I know 3M is a company like that, or Google's a, a company like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, people get to, to explore their entrepreneurial side and do that, but yeah. they still have the Safety and security of the walls of that company, right? Yeah, uh, and they're certainly accountable to more now than even just themselves. You could even say that might be more pressure, <laughs> trying to be an entrepreneur in that or, in an organization as opposed to going on your own. And if you fail, you fail. Yeah. Well, that's that's what I love about what I'm doing right now
3: is that I have 100 percent accountability. So if I fail, it's all on me, pretty much. Mm-hmm. There's some, you know, um, the will of others and natural uh, consequences and whatnot, but pretty much, you know, um, I get to pick myself, not wait to be picked. Mm-hmm. And and, I, and for me, the future seems bright when I ha- am, am at the wheel, not at the mercy of someone else who's going to give me a, a performance review that may be biased or right. political or, you know, whatever blows with the wind this week. That scares the crap out of me. You know, I'd rather
1: create my own destiny, so to speak. Right, and that's why I always, I think, push people to be entrepreneurs because yeah. they, you know, whether they're an independent contractor or an organization, whether or not they're, you know, they don't have to have a big company. They don't have to take it to the extreme, but yeah. sometimes having controlling their own destiny and if one guy or girl doesn't like them in a company, then go to somewhere else and go do those things without being tied up with, oh, my 401k is there, my insurance plan is there. guess yeah. society can kind of... Pull you down a little bit into the sense where you're comfortable where you're at, and it's really hard to take that risk. Yeah. You know, and which is probably why most entrepreneurs start when they're very young. You know, there's not as many people deciding to become entrepreneurs in their 50s and 60s. I'm sure that, I mean, there definitely are, but by percentage, I would think you're younger when you have less to worry about. Yeah. That's when it's going to come into play.
3: Well, necessity is the mother of invention, too, right? Right. If I think before. Before 2008, 2007, a lot of us were riding pretty comfortably, whether we were in a job that we hated or we were just cruising along and all was well. And then all of a sudden, when the economy went sour, just all the rules changed, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And so I would join you on that side in ge- you know giving everyone the same advice, and that is... Definitely start building your plan B in case the rug gets pulled out from under you. Yeah. So be an entrepreneur at whatever level that makes sense for you, whether it's completely quitting your job and starting what you love to do or, you know, toiling away in your garage after hours, after work,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, building your empire in case, you know, the time you're spending building someone else's empire doesn't work out. You right. Know?
1: Right. Yeah. And there's certainly the case for people who work a, do the work that they need to do to live and are entrepreneurial in another way, not in the same way you and I might be, but let's say that they are in a band or they want to really become proficient at you know, their particular art or skill, and that's not really ever going to turn into huge money windfall for them. You know, They're going to do the work they need to do during the day, but they have this other thing, and that's similar, I think, to what you're talking about from a, what entrepreneurs do about kind of loving what you're doing, really being able to to control your own destiny, to dive in there and to do great work and to feel great about it. But for some people, that's not going to be also tied to their paycheck.
3: Yeah, and so, you know, I guess it goes back to strategy. My mind thinks, you know, strategy is about why we do things, not what we do, mm-hmm. right? And if you go back to, like, the um, the Maslow hierarchy of needs, you know, that <laughs> right. starts with food and water and shelter and things mm-hmm. like that, and it works its way up to being fulfilled. I think you have to ask yourself if you're considering this life is why am I doing this? Is it because I am unfulfilled? I feel trapped, oppressed, um, exploited yeah. in my current job. Am I, uh, do I need more money? Uh, do I want to spend more time with my family? Ironically, I had these high hopes of, you know, when I quit my real job, oh, I'm going to be able to spend so much more quality time with my family. <laughs> and of course yeah. we all know that, that that's not the way it works. It like gets worse, but right. It
1: the, worse with, with, with little pockets of, you get to control something, you know?
3: Well, there's the flexibility, right? So right. if you, if you get to a point where you can uh, meet your needs, your financial needs, then it's amazing because if you've got that baseball practice, or if you want to be the soccer coach, you can schedule around that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're good, you know, and ordinarily, you know, the nine to five stuff does, a, does not allow for any of that period. And so right. it's a little bit depressing if you're a dad,
1: Yeah, real depressing. (laughs) When you kind of consider some of the hiring you've done, uh, now that you've kind of been going, what do you think is really kind of been the key to some of the top talent that you've had to kind of really work with?
3: Well, I'm not the first to say this, but it's generally known that we all want to work with people we know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. You know, those are sort of the three components. For me, because I'm not all that smart, really tried to surround myself with people who are better than me. Uh, You know, I've been an athlete all my life. And I know firsthand that when I play sports with someone who's better, whether it's tennis or golf or whatever we're playing at the time, if I play with someone who's better, I play up. Right. And so that's a general strategy I've got. Find people who are better than me. Find people who can complement my skills. You know, so if I'm good at this, they're good at that. And together, it's kind of like that peanut butter and chocolate combination. It's good together. And then I th- also think it comes down to personality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, is it a personality fit?
1: You know, another one of the ventures, and I think this is how I kind of first uh, was introduced to you, was the Linked Orange County, I you know, get your emails from time to time. Can you kind of share what your vision was behind creating this and, and how that vision has really come to be realized? So Linked Orange County is up in the category of passion
3: project that's just turned into something that's taking over my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been incredible. Um, it, at the same time I started my company, I felt very disconnected. And like I I refer to that being, you know, that rude awakening. I I I felt disconnected from resources, from people, opportunities, to money, to all these different things. The entrepreneurial island. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't really know where to turn. And so my first reaction was to seek out other groups and organizations that might help me out. And I sampled, I don't know, probably 50 of them. I went to all the networking events. And I really hate that word, networking, believe it or not. I'm sure there's good groups out there. I just couldn't find any. And the reason they probably didn't suit me is they just all felt like there was some ulterior motive. You know, they wanted to sell me something afterwards or mm-hmm. they were disingenuine in some to some degree. And so I, I really set out to start a group that would ha- not have all that baggage, you know, just really trying to be about connecting people. Um, and I started just with a handful of people, and I said, this is by invite only. If you know good people, feel free to invite them. It's all about connecting people, connecting buyers and sellers, information seekers within, you know, with information, uh, teams to each other, all these different ways to connect. And if you remember during the time, there was also a lot of very well-intentioned people um, who lost their jobs that suddenly became marketing experts, Mm-hmm. And that really annoyed me because, <laughs> because you know, very well-intentioned stockbrokers or real estate agents or whatnot who were, you know, the unfortunate casualties of this bad economy mm-hmm. um, were jumping on, for example, the social media bandwagon and, and starting to be social media marketers. And they had absolutely no right to do so. Um, again, well-intentioned, but just leading, sort of blind leading the blind. And so... It occurred to me that what we really needed, especially in Orange County, was expertise. And so, with my relationships, I started to reach out to some of the people that I thought were true experts. And honestly, there's only, you know, a handful of these people in in the country, let alone Orange County. I think think there's zero experts in Orange County, I'll say with confidence. There's a lot of people who sort of know what they're doing that are getting better at it. Uh, And I'm one of those, I'm, you know, learning every day. But I'm talking about people people who are writing books on this. So I, I reached out to people like Brian Solis, for example, who I thought was amazing. Brian, you know, a uh, PR guy who, who started writing books in, around the tech scene. And then really just just is amazing talking about the, the connected economy. And, you know, he wrote books like... Um, Drawing a Total Blank. <laughs> but, that's the name of the book, Drawing a
1: Total Blank. <laughs>
3: <laughs> It'll come to me in a second. But, okay. but So Brian Solis is a name, David Mirman, Scott, um, people like Chris Brogan, Seth Godin, mm-hmm. um, Gary Vaynerchuk, even Mari Smith. The list goes on of these authors. And I tried to bring them to Orange County in an effort to really sort of set the record straight to say, you know, these you should listen to these experts because they know what the heck they're talking about. Right. And so that's what we did. We started bringing in these folks. And um, the turnout was amazing. You know, the the group grew really quickly from a few members to, gosh, within a year we had like 5,000 people. And now it's in the 20 somethings, I've lost count. You know, it started as something very small, grew into something much bigger. And now it still is an organization dedicated to connecting people.
1: And I think through the linked, you know, uh, OC Magazine and kind of some events that are offered by the by the group, you're obviously trying to kind of you know, really reach a wide, you know, breadth of, of business professionals. So maybe you can share a little bit about your thoughts. What was the process that went into considering the type of people you wanted to recruit? Because you talked about you kind of started with some people. You know, did you kind of really kind of have an advisory board? Or did you, you know, how did you really kind of make that final choice of what you were going to go into?
3: Yeah, so we really just got you know organized with an advisory board last year. I, I guess I didn't start out with a particular demographic with air quotes in mind, I was really just looking for people who cared. You know, people who wanted to do stuff that matters. A lot of people ask me, well, how many members do you have, and how's it going? And and I really, I'm not keeping score that way. You know, the I think one of the pivotal times in the history of the group came when we wanted to bring Seth Godin to town. And if you don't know Seth he's the godfather of modern marketing and you know, he's written 14 plus best selling books. Yeah, you had to be under a
1: rock to not have heard his name. <laughs> yeah, I mean he,
3: he basically invented this permission marketing. He wrote the book on it literally, right? right. So um we wanted to bring Seth to town and um, I was super excited about it because he was responding to me and um it and he was expensive. You know, I'm not going to lie. It was $40,000 was his day rate. As um, it was actually eighty, and then he agreed to give me the bro deal and, and made it forty, and, and so I took it to the group and I said, "Listen, we've got Seth Godin. If you want him, you know, here's a guy who speaks to Fortune five hundred, Fortune one hundred companies only, or you have to schlep out to New York and attend one of his six thousand dollar courses mm-hmm. um, with twenty people in the room." Um, but here you have a chance to hear him in your backyard. Do you want it? And so I just did the math, and I said, all right, well, if it's $40,000. That means we need to either put 400 people at $99 a ticket in seats or 800 people for 50. It doesn't matter how we slice it, but this is what we got to do. And so I, I created a ticket at both prices and pushed a button, sending out the email, and said, Go for it. And by the way, we have two weeks to get it done or it's not going to happen. And uh, an amazing thing happened. Every single day, uh, a flood of tickets came in, and within six days, we had raised $40,000. Wow. And so maybe I'll take a little credit before Kickstarter was even invented that we started our own little Kickstarter campaign that way, even though it wasn't called that, and raised the funds with the power of people. And so how, how many do you need to get stuff done? You need the right number, the right number who care, and the right number who are willing to step up and take action and get it done, and that's what you need.
1: You mentioned uh, quite a few books uh, today, but I'm, I'm wondering if there's maybe a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us and uh, give us a little insight on, on, on what you're getting from it.
3: Well, I'll apologize to my friend Brian Solis and give a shout-out to his book. It's The End of Business as Usual, and um, he talks... Uh, a lot about really important things, and I'm actually going back through my library of books and, and and rereading several things um uh Seth Godin is probably one of my favorite authors um i'm I'm rereading lynchpin it's an incredible book about taking initiative uh of course I'm reading Gary vaynerchuk's book jab 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 right hook, mm-hmm. which is about you know knowing uh when to give and when to ask for right. things. What else am I reading? i love scott stratton he's one of my favorite authors he's written books like on marketing i'm reading uh, ken robinson's book i i'm I, I don't like fiction oddly enough i like to watch it in movies but right. when i read i only read non-fiction and it's typically business books
1: i'm very much the same way it's non-fiction stuff but every once in a while something will come around that will be so good fiction wise that I, I go i'll get into it but i would say 90 percent of the time it's you know, you're kind of looking for that next thing. It's, yeah. you, know, you can't get out of your entrepreneurial head. Yeah. You know, how do I get the next advantage? How do I learn the next thing before everyone else does? How do I pick something up that would really help me?
3: Yeah, I feel like I've, I get a nugget or two from every book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I go back and read them, because since I have a different perspective about it, Tribes is a good example. You know, that's one of Seth's uh, books he wrote back in 2010, and probably the inspiration for Forming a group like Linked Orange County, even though I formed the group after, or rather, before I read the book. But yeah, it's interesting how you can, when you're at a different stage in your life, and you reread something and you see it a little bit differently, you have a little different takeaway.
1: So we're kind of getting down to the end here. Uh, we've enjoyed having you on the on the show. I guess uh, probably the. The main thing I'm to make sure everyone knows is, if they're interested in getting, you know, more information about what your company does, or certainly to join the group, what's the best way for
3: them to do that? So, my company website is thegoodbrain.com, and um, you know, we're a digital agency focused on video production. So we do a lot of shows. I have a show called Behind the Brand, or you can go to linkedoc.com if you want to join the group. And of course, it's free to join. We have meetups every month. We've launched a magazine, Linked Orange County Magazine, which is sort of our fast company for Orange County, mm-hmm. trying to be a non-biased, non-political voice for business in Orange County. Right. And there's lots of other things going on. So you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on... If you, I mean, if you can't find me, you're,
1: you're literally under a rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you've had, you have you've really had some uh, fascinating interviews uh, that you did, I think, this last year. What were... maybe. One or two of the, uh, the better ones that you really enjoy doing.
3: I think they're all great uh, in their own way. Some, some that stand out. Um, it was really fun. I, I'm a big fan of The Office, you know, that, that just wrapped up their their uh, right. tour this last year. I got to sit down with actor Rain Wilson, mm-hmm. who plays Dwight on the show, and he's hilarious. He's, yeah. He is, is as quirky in real life as he is on the show. He's got a heart of gold, though, and, and it was fun because we went out to his farm. He lives on a farm. He really does.
1: Just not a beet farm, but it's a farm. I think he has
2: beets.
3: Oh, he does? Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, he's got chickens. He had a donkey, um, a goat or two, I think. And and he was a lot of fun. And I was really struck by his dedication to do good in the world. You know, he started this channel called Soul Pancake. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book previously that was a bestseller, but he's really out to change the world. And it's something that, that I really... I'm on the same page with that because in my own little way I'm trying to be the the change that I want to see in the world. Uh, definitely don't have the impact that he does or the reach, but you know, in my own little way i'm trying to to do good and trying to leave an impact and um especially where I live here in Orange county you know I live here, I work here, I'm raising a family here i'm I'm definitely invested you know that's what linked Orange county' is kind of all about it's It's all about creating this platform and this vehicle to do stuff that matters whether that's you know bring in experts or make change happen mm-hmm. or you know uh, do something on a charitable note or whatever it is you know we're really trying to to do some good
1: that's great well brian you know thank you so much for being my guest today hopefully you can come back and give us an update here uh, maybe down the road uh what's going on in orange county and what you're doing it certainly was uh, fascinating to have you on the show my pleasure that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you again to my special guests, Bob Kelly and Brian Elliott. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2 to hear Jessica Miller, uh Merrill CEO. Uh Jessica Miller Merrill, excuse me. If I it isn't if I don't go at least one show screwing up somebody's name, it's something the universe must explode or something. So CEO of Exceptional HR and Dan Hampkin, CTO of Veolia. Until then. Do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You're listening to Talent Talk Radio, show brought to you by People G2. Dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions by giving them access to the best. Human capital, due diligence, and background checks on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. Check them out.
2: People G2.